0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton.
1: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Measured Thoughts on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here's your host, David Riebstein. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Measured Thoughts on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Dave Reepstein, a professor of marketing here at the Wharton School, and I'm joined, as always, in studio by my co-host and Ph.D. candidate of marketing and business ethics uh, here at the Wharton School, Sunil Betty. And we are live every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Channel 132, and we're replayed throughout the week. And Sunil, how you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? How was your weekend? Uh, weekend was good, although you've got to feel sorry for all those people in North Carolina and that's dealing tough. with Florence. Yeah. And, you know, I can't believe I've, I've never heard of a spot having 40 inches of rain. It's incredible. Yeah, hurricanes uh, devastate. I'm from Florida, so I, I'm, I have personal experience with that. Uh, but I, I, hurricanes, one thing with strong wind, it's the amount of rain, rain. Yeah. that's uh, that's really devastating mm-hmm. here. Um, you've got to feel sorry for those people, and you have to feel good about all the volunteers that have helped. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, that's been really nice. And you asked about my weekend. Um, how was your weekend? I was good, saw some movies, relaxed, went to a baby shower. That was fun. that's yeah. yeah, so 2018 of yeah, you. It is, right? right? That's nice. <laughs> I was going to mention your baby shower if you didn't mention yeah, it, but you, you were willing to, uh, <laughs> to come out on it. That's pretty good. My weekend was pretty good too, and including I, uh, I spent a little time watching uh, the NFL football game. Yeah, my team unfortunately, um, or fortunately, beat the Eagles this this week. Your team? Oh yeah, oh, you from said Tampa, you're from Florida. So you know, oh, my Tampa gosh. Bay Bucks. I, 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 already, we're going to have a little bit of tension here <laughs> in the in the studio. Speaking of the NFL, yeah. and speaking of uh, the weekend football games, we've got somebody from the NFL that's uh, on the show today. Exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. It's Moon J- uh, Javed, who is here with us, and he's the vice president of business strategy and analytics for the San Francisco 40, uh, 49ers. So great team, great history with that team. Absolutely. And um, and it's interesting because I look at it and I say, you know, if you had analytics in your title that used to be embarrassing, now it's just elevating. Absolutely. It's, it's oh, just for uh, sure. It's really hot. So... Um, I want to encourage our audience that at, at any time, if you want, you can give us a call during this program um, at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. You can email us at business radio at SiriusXM. You can follow us on Twitter at biz, that's B-I-C, radio 132. And so you could join us at any time. In the second half of the program, what we're going to do is we're going to open up the lines to anything you want to talk about with respect to marketing, metrics, branding. And also, I'm curious what people think about the biggest threat to the NFL. And I think that would be interesting to hear people's perspective on that. Yeah. So without further ado, let's turn to Moon Javed and see uh, what it is that he's up to. So Moon, thank you very much for, uh, for welcoming us. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. And I say welcoming us. We're welcoming you. So thank you very much for joining us on this program. Uh, I'm, I am uh, so interested in your particular background, and, and I'm fascinated by it because of what it is that you do, and then but how you got into this. So just before we start talking about what it is you do, what did you do before you got into the NFL?
0: Absolutely. So... You know, I actually grew up in Cleveland, and I happened to be a big LeBron fan, uh, but spent most of my life in Chicago. So I ended up going to Northwestern undergrad and with a psych and econ major there, and then went to University of Chicago Boots School of Business.
1: And got your MBA I, there,
0: right? I did, yes. So sorry it wasn't Orton, but... Uh, no, you, you
1: know. went to a fine place, so and not hold it against you, yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Um, in between my time there, I really spent most of my time in strategy consulting and private equity. I spent six years six years between the two I ran a startup and you know really my path to the 49ers started in business school you know while I was in business school I attended the MIT Sloan Analytics Conference in my second year and they had a business school case competition it was it was sponsored by the NFL I was fortunate enough to win it along with a couple of teammates and you know our grand prize was winning a couple Super Bowl tickets but, but we all decided to turn it down um and we turned it down so that we could meet with some of the top brass over at the NFL and so we had a really great meeting, productive meeting at the NFL headquarters. Wait, wait, wait.
1: i, I got to pause for a second. They gave you a choice. You could have two Super Bowl tickets or you could meet with the top brass.
0: Um, it wasn't really a choice. So it was more of the, the, the prize was Super Bowl tickets. And, you know, I wasn't doing the business school case competition for the Super Bowl tickets. I, I wanted a job within, within sports. So I said, hey, I, I really appreciate the Super Bowl tickets, but that's not really what I want. I, I want a meeting with some of the NFL executives and – so they, they made that happen for us. That's
1: wonderful. Wow. So I would think, uh, so you went directly from Chicago Business School, and getting, getting your MBA, and started with the 49ers?
0: I started a little bit afterwards. So it wasn't exactly, you know, it was called six months afterwards. And it, it really, the genesis there was the NFL had pointed me towards the 49ers. But then, most importantly, one of my friends from business school, um, Emes Jahari was actually working at the 49ers, and he, he had a Facebook post saying it was his first day of working at the 49ers. So I reached out to him as well and said, hey, you know, how would you break into sports? And he told me that they were hiring right now, and if I was interested, that he'd pass me along. So he did, and, and the rest is kind of history.
1: And what was your first position with them?
0: I was an analyst within our business strategy and analytics group. So at the time, we were eight analysts strong, and it was a year before Levi Stadium opened, and we were really brought in. To help open up the stadium and make sure it opened up on time and you know it was a very interesting uh, project to work on. And once we opened up Levi's Stadium we kind of stayed on and, and started to transition our role a little bit more from opening up the stadium to more of a uh, internal corporate strategy team.
1: And so in, when did an analyst position uh, elevate to a VP position there at the 49ers?
0: So it's really happened throughout the last five years. Um, you know have, have worked worked up from becoming an analyst to, to manager and director and then to vice president um, you know with a little bit of hard work and then a little bit of luck as well in terms of you know within the sports world and I think a lot of other industries outside of consulting and banking you, you know a lot of things are timing and luck and people leaving on top of you opening up positions and you know for me it was able always able to convince you know our team president Al, to to not hire above me and to just let me fill those positions
1: Wow uh, you've got to be in the envy of your class, and I'm sure everybody thinks this is just uh, amazing that you have, uh, ha- have done that. And, by the way, I- I've got to say congratulations on your victory in the opening uh, in, in your home opener uh, where you won yesterday. And so you, it always has got to make you feel better, right?
0: Oh, 100%. I think, first and foremost, I'm a huge fan. You know, that's why I do work in sports and why this is a, a dream job for me. I grew up loving sports. I have a pretty big sports memorabilia collection. So the fact that I get to work within the industry, you know, I'm a little bit of a kid in candy
1: store. No, that's got to be just so much fun being able to work in sports and and be able to apply what you learn in business school. So that's great. So let me get a sense because you're not really managing anything that's going on on the field. Are you, are you doing – you hear so much about analytics in terms of – what play should be run, when, and and you know, you, we certainly started hearing about it with Moneyball. You're not doing that side of analytics, are you?
0: No, you, you, you have it correct, and that's something that people always ask me, but we do have a separate, you know, football analytics department um, that runs all the analytics. I touch all the analytics on the business side, uh, but nothing on the football side, and so I think, you, you know, you, you might have alluded to Moneyball that happened, the Moneyball era that happened probably in early 2000s, the, that effect on the business side really didn't happen until probably most recently within the last five, six, seven years. So when, when I was hired in as an analyst here at the 49ers, really only 25% of NFL teams had a single business strategy individual working within their organizations. If we fast forward today, five years later, there's been really strong growth, and I think it's well over two-thirds of teams now have an individual, with most teams having on average two to three individuals. So we're seeing some really strong growth within business strategy, within sports, and that's something that I'm, I'm very happy about as well.
1: So you've been right at the forefront of all that. Why don't, why don't you tell us, what exactly does that mean? What are you doing, uh, and, and what is it that you're responsible for?
0: Absolutely. So I organize our department around four key initiatives or areas. The first would really be what I call your tried-and-true business intelligence, which is where we have our data warehouse, our CRM. We do things such as lead scoring, retention modeling, This is where we code in SQL or Python or R, and we put up great tableau visualizations to help the rest of the organization make key decisions. Um, So that's one area. The second area would be we manage our concessions, retail, and restaurant. We do have a restaurant that's open 365 days a year with our James Beard award-winning partner. So it's managing all those different revenue streams and maximizing uh, the revenue efficiency and making sure the experiences are great there. The, The third area is we also work on our fan feedback. So surveys, focus groups, and happy or not are three big areas that we do it in. And if you're not familiar with happy or not, they're the kiosks that you might have seen in an airport with the two smiley faces, two frowny faces, where you can hit a button and highlight how your TSA pre-skinning experience was or your restroom experience was. Right. And then the last area is what I would call expanding our brand. And that's really where we think about expanding the revenue pie, the traditional revenue pie being ticketing, partnerships, and broadcast revenue, where most of the revenue comes in. We work to expand that pie, and we do partnerships or acquisitions. So this October, we're announcing the launch of our 49ers Fit, which is our gym concept. And then we also have two sports medicine facilities. We've acquired the largest local high school sports show in the country. So different ways where we can expand or leverage our brand um, and can be value-additive to other companies and at the same time help to generate some more revenue and profitability for us here at the Niners.
1: Well, you threw curve at me that I wasn't expecting when you talked about the 49ers gym are, are you going into gym franchising or is it some exercises that you end up basically selling to existing gyms or what is the 49ers gym?
0: Yeah, great question. So we've partnered with Mark Mastroff, um, who is one of the um, preeminent gym founders in the country. And so we've, we've come together with a partnership where it's a joint venture with him and we're actually launching a physical space. It's a gym that's located about 10 miles away from Levi Stadium and it'll be open to Open to the public, just as a, just as a standard gym would be. So we're we're coming in, you know, probably at the mid to high end price point where we'll have a great experience for our customers that are within there. And we've branded it out to look very slick with a lot of the 49ers um, themes and colors and images. And we look to have some of our um, some of our members down there as well to make it a pretty pretty cool experience for the for the gym members.
1: So when you start branching out and opening one of those in Chicago and in Philadelphia, are you going to use the the Bears and the Eagles as a, as, as sort of the logo there, or are you going to stay with the 49ers strong?
0: So if, if there, there was to be a gym open up in Chicago, the Chicago Bears would be the ones to, to do that. So with the NFL, we can only control our marks within our registered area, which for us is Northern California. Um, and, you know, specifically more of the Bay Area as long as the Raiders are here. So for us, we can open up within our geographic markets, but we cannot take that concept nationally.
1: I, I'm a little bit surprised by that because I see, you know, the Steelers clubs in various different cities and uh, and Eagles, you know, things. But maybe that's all started by fans or, or by particular yes. bars and not done by yes. any of the – is th- that right? Th- those
0: are fan backer bars, absolutely.
1: So you could franchise the uh, the 49ers gym and let some individual fan go ahead and start that somewhere, but I, I won't push that anymore. It, what What I heard, by the way, is you talk some about the process of what it is that you're doing, but what I hear in terms of revenue that you're trying to generate, it comes through tickets, it comes through sponsorship, and it comes through concessions. Is the the sort of things that generate immediate Um, Revenue, And I recognize that the brand has this overarching across all of them. Uh, So let's start with the tickets. What is it you do to try and learn about uh, how do we increase ticket sales?
0: Absolutely. So everything that we like to do within our department would, would generally be a collaboration with the key stakeholders in our organization. So for that, we would be working very closely with our ticket operations team. And primarily, we work with them to work on a couple different pieces. One is dynamic ticket pricing. So we will help them and we'll make some recommendations on where we should price at our tickets. We do change our prices weekly, very comparable to what you might see with an airline model. What we're looking at there is fairly basic. We're looking at what's going on in the secondary market, understanding the trends that are there, so looking at data from SeatGeek, StubHub, Ticketmaster, all the above, and really highlight, highlighting and understanding what's going on in the marketplace, and then making recommendations based off of what's going on there and then our remaining supply that we have left. So. You know, leveraging our econ days, you know, simple supply and demand right there. Um,
1: So so let's make sure everyone understands that. I get it very clearly. This dynamic pricing is is a function of your capacity and your capacity utilization. So if the patriots are coming into town, or I'd like to say the eagles are coming into town, um, what it is that you would do is you would end up charging a higher price because you would forecast that this is airline lingo, a route that people are, are going to fill up very quickly um, versus if, and, and excuse me, Buffalo or your hometown, Cleveland's coming into town, you might start with lower prices. Is that right?
0: Uh, yes, you have it exactly right right, right on.
1: And then as, um, as some of those ste- seats start filling up, you're forecasting what it's going to take to, to fill up all the rest of those seats. And that price might change even during the week.
0: Correct. Absolutely. And with with our goals being obviously we want a full stadium. So that's that's a key priority for us. And then you're also looking at revenue maximization as well.
1: Right. I I will tell you, by the way, I was working on that with uh, with MLB uh, more than a decade ago. And, and really trying to uh, do the same thing with baseball. But delighted to hear that you guys are doing that as well. And, and uh, any sense, by the way, of how much that has benefited in terms of total revenue for the 49ers? Um,
0: yeah, it's been, it's been quite a bit. We've done quite well. It's been something we've been proud of. I think something that I can, can highlight is we've broken the NFL record for highest-grossing regular season game a couple of times over the last couple of years. Um, so that's been a good sign or indication that what we're doing is, is working. Um, but, you know, really, I, I do want to emphasize that it is, it is also a collaboration with our ticket operations team. So while we make the recommendations, they're, they're the ones that also have that inherent base knowledge. And so it's the combination of the two that really work well together.
1: And, and, and by the way, I'm just a little bit curious about the dynamics that happen within there. I, I, am I safe in saying that after a victory that suddenly demand goes up and therefore prices go up?
0: You, you, would, you, would, you would hope so? Yes. And I think in most cases, that's it. It's probably not going to be an immediate, you know, as soon as the game ends. Like at 4 p.m. yesterday, I didn't go check the market and, and immediately increase prices. Um, but yes, you know, and I think it probably takes more than a couple of wins before you can really start to get that pricing, that before you start seeing the pricing reflect a little bit higher in the secondary market. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, wow, I find it absolutely fascinating to see that you're doing that. Let me remind our audience that you're listening to Measured Thoughts on Sirius XM, 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. And we are currently speaking with Moon Javed, who is the vice president of business strategy and analytics for the San Francisco 49ers. And you can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866 you can certainly ask any question that you want of Moon, and you can even, you know, try Sunil and I and, and see what, what sort of things you might have in your mind. Um, let's move to trying to think about sponsorship and uh, and sponsorship and advertising that you have within the stadium. What is it you do to um, try and stimulate that, and, and what are the analytics that go into that?
0: So, honestly, on the partnership front, that's an area where I think most, Business strategy teams in sports, they spend a lot of their time as well because it is very it's – it's a lot of dollars there and there are a lot of strong analytics. Our, our partnership team here is very strong, and so it hasn't been a need for us as well. We're, we are a um, top team in terms of partnership revenue. So if I think about as a whole, as a whole our corporate strategy and you know, for, our, for our department, if there's something that we're doing exceptionally well, I'd, I'd rather divert, divert our time and resources from a business strategy department to focus on other departments. So I think over the next year, as we focus on more renewals, because we did a lot of five, ten-year contracts, and we're coming up on year five, it's where we'll start to see a little bit more on the analytics side there. Um, but, but honestly, not something that we've focused on too much to date.
1: So, I, you know, actually, I did have a question about it, maybe you'll say you're not the one who, who uh, addresses this. I'm curious, um, basically, how do you go about trying to prove to your sponsors that it's worthwhile for them to do?
0: Well, I think that'd be more of an answer for a partnership team, but if I were to, if I were to speak at a, at a high level, I think there's a couple of different things that we do. And so one is, is really referencing the power of the NFL and the brand that the NFL brings and how it can really affect um, an end user's purchases or decisions. And I know the NFL puts out a, a report for us every year where we can leverage some of those statistics in addition, then you also bring that same lens to the, to the 49ers brand and what we can bring to the, to the end customer as well and changing customers' perceptions. I know that, you know, for example, are you more likely to buy a pair of Levi's jeans in the Bay Area now versus five years ago? Those are huh. things that we would look at. Then there's, there's always reports that come out from Nielsen and, and other agencies such as RuffyCom that look at your, uh, the TV ad, ad, ad presence. So if we have our logo up in an area, it's on TV, what's the marketing dollar associated with that? So we also put, put together reports like that. But I think as we move into the future of partnerships, we might start to change a little bit of how we start to look at the, the impact of, of a partner, partnership for the customers. But I can't really speak to that yet because we haven't developed that strategy
1: currently. Well, I'm dying to hear the answer to that. I'm asked that question all the time of, well, so if we're going to sponsor a team or sponsor a stadium... You know, it, it comes at a huge cost, and I need to know what that value is. And so, yeah. you know, if, if you can get the answer to that, you're back on the air, and we'd love to hear you. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I th- sounds good. Yeah, I, I think that would be great uh, to try and figure out. And then I, what I heard you also say that I thought was intriguing was um, the question of how much sharing is there across the NFL? Do teams share sort of best practices um, across and you're able to learn from others?
0: Absolutely. So that's something that we meet with other teams regularly, um, probably have met with 30 or 40 other teams by this point across all sports. And I think the reality is, is would this happen on the, on the football side? Absolutely not. Um, and it shouldn't. But should it happen on the business side? I think it should. And as I, as I highlighted a little bit earlier, it's, it's a little bit of a nascent space, and a lot of the individuals haven't been around for decades on end, so we can all learn from each other. And at the end of the day, if, if there's a fan in Chicago, I, I don't think I have any chance of converting a fan, in, a Chicago Bears fan to become a 49ers fan. Um, so if they're not competitive to me, then, then I sh- certainly am looking to help them out.
1: Now, I would think there's plenty of opportunity to sort of share. Uh, um, and actually, I'm curious whether or not—I'm a big believer one should share— worst practices also. So do you hear some of that as well? Because I I think other people that have tried things that have failed are good things for you to learn about uh, as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. So if if a vendor, any vendor calls us and chats with us and highlights that they're working with another team, we always call that other team and ask and really try and get a a real assessment for how they're performing. Um, Another thing that you might find interesting as well is we at the Fortinners did also launch what we call the... 49ers Innovation and Business Strategy Conference. So this is a conference. We had it, we've had it run two years, and um, effectively, all, all of my peers across the industry are the ones that are the target market for this. So it's a conference purely dedicated towards business strategy and sports. And we actually had uh, a Wharton professor here this year speaking, speaking for us, uh, Pete Pater. Oh, but yeah. He was Yeah, he, uh, we, we had the fortune of having him, and he did a great job talk, talking through customer centricity.
1: I uh, um, really enjoyed his uh, chat, but he does great work. Time. So I'm glad to hear you had him there uh, doing that. And, and a lot of what it is he ends up talking about is he spends some time talking about getting that individual level data, and I assume that's talking yes. about selling tickets and 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 being able to look at um, fan attraction as well as fan retention. Yes. And um and so have you had you been working with him previously?
0: I had not been working with them previously. Um, you know, For a conference, I do like to have outside speakers coming from different industries, and I also do like an academic angle as well. So I think as we are a new industry, we certainly can still learn from you know, outside industries and best practices that exist in Silicon Valley and in the academic world, and just wanting it to be a little bit more of a thought-provoking session, and I think uh, Pete really nailed it. He, he was on stage with Neil Hoyne um, from Google, so I think the two of them went on stage together and did a fantastic job. And I think it really helps, you know, provoke some thoughts for the rest of my peers in the industry and myself included.
1: Well, that's awesome. And it's great that you're bringing in, you know, different perspectives and doing that. And it's also great you have my phone number in case you need it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair Moon, enough.
0: Moon, I mean, kind of drawing upon,
1: you know, having Pete Vader there and having academics, you know, we believe in data. That Data is king. And so I'd be kind of interested uh, to get a better sense of the kinds of data that you collect on your uh Uh, you know, on your fans and, you know, what, uh,
0: um, how nuanced is the data and and how are you actually using the data? If you could walk us through some of
1: that, I think that'd be interesting.
0: Absolutely. So I, I, I do share the same sentiments. Obviously I work in analytics. I'm a huge data supporter. I think, you know, at the end of the day, data is exceptionally important to help drive our decisions, but there is, there is also a human element that we, that we do take into consideration. So it's not, um, we don't just rely on what the model says, you know, for example, I use this analogy in ticketing. It's it's really tough for an algorithm to spit out if Aaron Rodgers is injured this week and the impact it'll have. So there always has to be that sure. that lens at the end that's checking everything over. But in in terms of the analytics that we're pulling and, and data that we're pulling, you know, a lot of it's fairly basic in terms of the um, you know, axiom or experience data that that's age, income, household, all those demographic variables that we can pull into our data warehouse. On top of that, what we're really monitoring, and, and we're, do- this is, we're doing it in real time as well, is we're pulling in ticket scans, um, concessions, F&B data, um, survey data, and we're combining all these different pieces into a, a holistic customer 360. So at this time, we, we have about 20 different data streams flowing into our data warehouse that account for our transactions. Um, email open rates is another big one that we, that we put in there. And this helps us to identify... You know what the customers are doing and what their likely activities will be in the future.
1: And how are you connecting uh, for an individual? So you get my ticket scan, but then I go to the concessions, uh, and you're able to connect my my ticket purchase with uh, the concessions that I bought.
0: Absolutely. I if if I was being fair though, um, you know, the ticketing is probably driving when you're scanning in. That's driving most of my insights that I have, I would be able to connect you uh, in our concession stand if you are a season ticket holder. We have a, SPL disc, or a season ticket holder discount that we use, and in order to generate that 15% discount, you have to scan a QR code, which is an identifier, identifies you. Um, it's now in our micro system, and then that connects on the back end to our data warehouse as well. So we would be able to gather those insights, but really the ticketing scanning data is probably the largest driver for us in what we are leveraging right now. So are you coming to our games or are you not? So if you're a season ticket holder, are you coming to the games? Are you forwarding your ticket? Are you donating your ticket? Are you just not coming up? Are you putting on a secondary market? Um, these are the actions that we're most concerned about, and that helps us to understand, you know, how can we get our show rates up? And then B also really helps us understand the retention, the likelihood of retention for you as well.
1: So I'm very curious. How do you, how do you know if I'm uh, donating my ticket or giving it to uh, – To Sunil so all of our tickets are mobile tickets
0: so we've moved completely to our mobile apps which means that you can no longer use a PDF so if you have a ticket you you have an account with us you would then forward your ticket to Sunil Sunil will have to create an account in order to get into the stadium so once he creates the account I I now have Sunil's information and I can leverage that to um, I'll put that into our data warehouse and we'll know a little bit more about Sunil the next time he comes to our
1: stadium. So I can't get in. I, I realize you're in California, but I can't get in the stadium if I, don't, if I don't have a smartphone.
0: So we also, in addition to that, we do have a credential um, that's used. So if you're a season ticket holder, you are given a credential that will allow you access into our building as well. So instead of having a different ticket for every game, it's one credential that's used for the entire season. And, and this, was, this is really a decision. It's, it's across the NFL. So the NFL has moved to mobile only. So and it, they're, they're, we're moving away from PDS as a whole.
1: Wow, uh, that's, that's intriguing, I like that. Um, so uh, i read somewhere, it, it was an incredible statistic, and you gotta tell me this is wrong and I just read the wrong thing. That mm-hmm. you had, you go through three million uh, data, what was it? Data points? Data points uh, in, at, a day? At, 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 per day.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's rows um, in our data warehouse, um, and that that is accurate. So, it's the way that the data is structured uh, with with rows, but it's the number of people that we have within our database, effectively, and then churning and updating their information daily. So we will hit the axiom and experience d- data in real time to be able to update our information.
1: And so you've got three million people in your database and you're tracking what emails they open, whether they come to the game. Um, you, you recognize when I give my tickets to Sunil that the beer uh, sales go up versus when I'm there. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and you get you know all of that type of information, but you get it for sort of three million people. I mean, your stadium is not that big. So you, you're tracking a lot of people that aren't in the stadium.
0: Yes, our social following is, is, is fairly large.
1: Oh, talk about the social following and what it is you do you know, in, via social media.
0: So our, our social media is, is run by uh, Meg Ryan on our team, and she does a fantastic job there. Really, from our perspective, I'm, I'm not really driving the strategy, but I am able to help her out and give her data that can help support her. So looking at social campaigns that might be more effective, whether it's based off of um, the type of imagery that we use or um, how we word things. So just looking at simple A-B tests that we, we can do to increase the likelihood that a fan will click on a certain advertisement that we have within social media, um, I think is probably the best way that we, we help her out. But from a holistic strategy perspective, you know, not really, quote-unquote, my area of expertise. I think uh, I could certainly point you to Meg Ryan and maybe she can join you on the radio next time. Mm-hmm.
1: So she's no longer acting and she's just working for you? Yeah. <laughs> we,
0: have, we, we have a Meg Ryan and we have a Joe Fan, uh, oh. which, ah. which is awesome. Ah, that's <laughs> great.
1: Uh, I, I love it. So uh, what's, what's sort of the next big challenges that you're going to be working on?
0: Absolutely. I think there's three big initiatives for this year and the, the first one is really what I would call uh, from the concession side so we have recently transitioned our concessionaire, and, and this year we've launched what we're call what we calling Touchdown Terrace. And it's effectively we've taken our entire outer concourse, which was pretty much vacant real estate, and we've opened up a new concession experience with local restaurants and local partnerships. So something that came out of our surveys and feedback that we had from our fans is they wanted a little bit more local flair. So we created a whole new experience for them on the outer concourse. And I actually just pulled up more numbers from – um, from the game yesterday, which was when we launched and we had an 86% satisfaction rate on it So something that we're super like that's a really strong mark so it's for, for us so the launch went pretty well, so we're very excited about that I think the piece that you you might be most excited about is we just launched what we're also calling the executive huddle so the executive huddle is a, effectively a digital boardroom that we created in in partnership with SAP so think of it as a control room where we are now actually in real time during a game, pulling attendance, scans, parking data, concessions, retail. And it's helping us to identify where some challenges might be on a game day. So if I if I talk to you about a game day in particular, we have 10 game days a year. And on those 10 days, we bring in 3,500 employees that are managing 600 points of sales, 50 restrooms. Um, there's just a tremendous amount that, that's going on. and so. While we, we don't want the fan to see any of the challenges or issues we have, um, certainly they come up, and how do we find those challenges as quickly and efficiently as possible and solve them? And I think this control room is going to be very helpful for us to bring down the resolution times on the issues that are happening around our stadium. You know, good, a good example of a couple yesterday, I mean, this is, a, this is an extremely minor one, but we got a happy or not alert at our wine stand yesterday, the happier not alert meant that customers were not happy. So over 50% of the customers were not happy at this stand over a 15-minute time frame. And then we went down to look at it. We found out that the, the, the wine was a little bit warm. So we just tossed it back on the ice, and then our scores went back up.
1: Really? Oh, that's, that's cool. A, that's really cool. It's very cool. I I I, I I like that a lot. Um, you said there were two you were going to give me. might want to hear the other one.
0: Um. So the other one was just just in the restrooms. So the sinks were broken in in the family restrooms, and so we got an alert that you know fans were unhappy at one of the restrooms, and we we're able to come in and quickly quickly fix that issue too. So <laughs> That's a, great. A lot of this, a lot of what the, the happy happier not in the game time resolution, it's we're, it's not moving mountains, but there's just all these small challenges that occur throughout you know our entire stadium on a game day, and it's it's challenging for, for teams to stay on top of all of them because. There's just so many employees that are coming in. A lot of them are temporary labor or individuals, or they're just getting trained for the absolute first time the morning of a game, half an hour before they're, they're out on the floor, and then they're, then they're out there representing you and your brand. And so for us, it's just the ability to find out the issue as quickly as possible and send someone over and, and get the issue resolved.
1: Well, working on it real time, that's pretty amazing. And I've got two more questions for you I'm going to try and squeeze in here. One, one of them is I'm, I'm trying to think about um, – you set the all-time record for one-day revenue. What, what was it you did that, that sort of accomplished that? Because I would think it, that requires the biggest stadium, and you don't have the biggest stadium. So what, what happened?
0: Well, I think there's a, a couple things that happened. And as, as I highlighted, you know, we, we started business strategy department five, five years ago, six years ago. And I think we're one of the early adopters. So we're one of the early adopters of moving with dynamic ticket pricing. So do I expect that record to be broken multiple times in the next five to ten years? Absolutely. As I think more teams start to roll out dynamic ticket pricing, I think that they will absolutely break that record. So I think I got a little bit of the first mover advantage by moving there quickly. Um, But I I will certainly take that. I think that there's a couple things that we did. And the the first is – you know, if I think about a whole season as a whole, let's say that an, a ticket is $100 per game, so it's you know, $1,000 because we have two preseason games for the season. Um, you know, I could now change whatever that share is across every game. So if it's a game such as the Dallas Cowboys, you know, I might take the share from $100 to $200 because I know that I can, I, I'm going to sell out the tickets no matter what. So it's a, one, it's about effectively getting your base of tickets to be high for your season ticket holders. And then from there, um, you know, it's really maximizing maximizing as much as you possibly can on, on the single game tickets. And for that, we we really are just looking at what's going on in the secondary market. With with my perspective that, um, you know, that's that's the true supply and demand for what the marketplace is. There's people that are selling tickets. There's people that are buying tickets. So I can understand what people are paying for on the secondary market. And I think historically.
1: You know and that and that that gives you lots of insight about what it is you should be doing with your prices so I, I think that's 100%, fascinating
0: hundred percent you are yeah.
1: doing great work congratulations on that moon thank you very much for joining us today uh, please do stay with us everyone we're going to need to take a a short break uh, when we get back we're going to take your calls on anything related to marketing branding and metrics and what you think some of the biggest challenges might be to the NFL. So if you want to give us a call, you can call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. This is Business Radio powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132.
0: For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.